Hello and welcome back to the Local Matters Podcast. You're now listening to the fifth episode and now that we've covered our primary principles, we're going to talk about specifics and today that's consumerism. This is the ideology which encourages repeated purchase of material products with no limit in sight. And we all know it, from designer brands to expensive cars to higher priced food. It's not just a physical reality as well, it's an entire sort of cultural uh, phenomenon. Our economy is quantified in mathematical terms, rather than actually in the stability and well-being of society. Uh, People are looking for nothing but profits and wealth and continual growth, rather than sort of happiness and and the well-being of of the people around them. It definitely does become uh, less so of a need, and sometimes not even a want, more so status or happiness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this especially, um, like I say, designer clothes, uh, one of my friends spends hundreds, uh, but he doesn't wear it anymore, but he continues to buy it just um, sort of out of habit. It's very strange. I've never seen anything like that. It's not even just large purchases, though. There are so many small, irrelevant purchases we make in our day-to-day life, buying small figurines and toys and games and things. And these are things we can take some enjoyment from, but to the level that it's happening now is is really really uncanny it's sort of developed a lot over the past hundred years or so uh but consumerism um to some extent has, has been noticed throughout history uh, i know one example that i've looked into before is actually um a type of consumerism is talked about by aristotle which is going back a fair ways um so essentially he made a distinction between uh economics which is sort of production to satisfy community's needs, uh, create useful products. And I might be mispronouncing this, but I think it's it's chromastics, which is essentially production and manufacturing and, and, and working, uh, but with the only uh, intention of making money. Um, so some people might argue things like being a landlord or something like that. So you're not really providing anything new into society. You're just sort of creating arbitrary money without producing any products. But it's it's in lots of different ways you can see that like this has been a feature of our society for a very long time. But I think now the difference is that it's become a, a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I think you're right. It does have a very deep historical precedent. And I think the first time it entered modern sociology was Thorstein Veblen talking about it in 1899 in his biggest book, The Theory of the Leisure Class. But back then, he spoke about conspicuous consumption as the defining characteristic only of the upper class, as if the boundary of whether you're considered very wealthy is if you have literally throwaway money and you can basically rub it in other people's faces that you're so wealthy. It's completely changed now because the vast majority of people are engaged in consumerism, wealthy and otherwise, and it's become perhaps the most defining characteristic of the modern world. And this greatly contrasts with the original intention of the term to refer to frivolous wealth only in the upper echelons of society. I'd actually say that it started uh, more so later on. There was a book published in 1931 called The Epic of America by James Truslow Adams. And in this book, he um, popularized the idea of the American dream. And the quote from the book is that of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. And remember, this is around the time uh, that the Industrial Revolution, um, sorry, the production line came in and things starting to be made en masse, uh, not just in the automotive industry, but across 
you know, a lot of materialist products. Um, and with this book, the American dream became something um, that a lot of people chased, not just in America, uh, but in all first world countries, just this thought of um, excess wealth to spend on what you want. Even the Declaration of Independence said everyone is entitled to the pursuit of happiness. And this since then has been translated to um, buying your way into what you want um, to be happy. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of it does have to do with um, sort of the American economic miracle, especially around the 1920s, 1930s. But I don't want to vilify that. Because I think that has a much um, more relevant place in history than the consumerism we see today. Although it's definitely, uh, I think, a large part of its modern roots. I think the the issue came when we reached a point where um, technology was no longer able to grow alongside this consumerism. So what was happening back then in the 20s and 30s is that you were having people getting all these new types of equipment and kits. So you had people getting cars and washing machines and stuff like that, all these different types of, of homeware and things. Whereas now you're only really seeing that in developing countries, right? You're seeing the same sort of uh, growth of people getting these new utilities uh, and, and their economic prosperity increasing, but then it reaches a certain capstone where past that, the spending does start to become frivolous. We don't need the 20th, you know, um, you know, you get people now buying dishwashers that were made a few years ago that are breaking within months when people now, you know, have had access to similar products for years. You know, technology sort of has reached some sort of peak. We don't need, like, the 10th iPhone anymore. You know, it's, it's sort of reached the point where, at least in, in the West or, you know, in, in um, most of the developed world, we've sort of reached that peak. And at this point, we're sort of spending still out of trend and out of culture rather than for actually any sort of benefit. You know, I, I don't think most of us are actually gaining anything from these designer products, these, um, you know, fancy new cars and phones and things. Uh, of course, technology is advancing, but um, not to the rate that demands the amount of consumerism that we currently have. I think consumerism has snowballed. Uh, and, and become much more encompassing, but the actual um, technological advances have slowed. But there's lots and lots of other disadvantages to consumerism. Uh, I, I assume we're going to touch on those now. Yeah, one of the major disadvantages of consumerism that is spoken about a lot in the media is its effect on the environment, because it's a huge part in the pollution of the planet. Every day, 8 million pieces of plastic enters the ocean, and there are now 51 trillion pieces of plastic in the seas which is more than 500 times the number of stars in the Milky Way, which is you know, almost inconceivable. And a large part of this is through single-use consumer plastics, the kind that you would, without giving it a second thought, throw in the bin after opening a sandwich or you know, a wrapper on a chocolate bar, something like that. This is definitely one of the most discussed aspects of consumerism in modern media and modern society. And the vast majority of the public agrees that this is a very negative aspect of consumerism. You're right, but we don't see a change in their habits. And this must be down to um, being short-sighted. Because, I mean, who cares about the world in 100 years? Because we'll be dead by then. So I'll just smash all this plastic in the bin and see where it ends up. I agree. I think that comes down to a lot of ladies in society now, though, especially linked around consumerism. I mean, you see people saying, you know what, well, I don't need to do anything productive with my life as long as I'm 
consuming the products that I want to do. It doesn't matter if I'm contributing anything, which is a sort of hyperbolic example. But uh, lots of people now's life really does just revolve around going to work, coming home, sticking the telly on, having a chocolate bar and a pack of crisps and watching a bit of telly. Um, you know, and that's that's the enjoyment and the purpose they find in their life. And that's sort of what consumerism has has and work largely into as well, which I think is why so many people nowadays are disillusioned with the nine to five. Become sort of this aimless grind where people sort of know a lot of the time that the job they're doing isn't really satisfying or rewarding because I think a lot of people feel like they're not really doing anything worthwhile. Um, the problem is though, currently there's no real alternative for anybody, right? You either you know, enjoy the same products, watch the same shows, or you're not part of society. I mean, I don't watch uh, TV generally. I don't, I don't watch Love Island especially, but then I end up feeling left out when a bunch of my friends are having conversations about it. So it's that societal pressure to keep consumerism going. And I mean, yeah, it does even extend to TV, you know. It's not just physical products as well. It is, it is the media you consume. It's become to the point where not only is it uh, all over society, but it's it's inescapable. You can't not engage with consumerism because if you don't engage with consumerism, you don't engage with society. It sort of touches on the, the broader point, you know, that um, consumerism really has replaced a lot of culture in uh, across the Western world. I completely agree. And I think we have to be careful to the extent to which we blame individuals for taking part in the consumer culture, because there is always, of course, a degree of individual agency in things like this. But as you just said, Patrick, general society is founded so heavily on consumerism that you'd be completely alienated from it if you were to completely cut yourself off from it. And this is something that Jean Baudrillard spoke about when he spoke about how unrestrained markets and unrestrained capitalism ends up basically instilling false needs into consumers' minds and makes it such that their whole identity is based on objects and their whole social prestige is based on material wealth. And in this way, someone becomes almost domesticated they're so dependent on consumption that any idea or possibility of changing the system that essentially you know it's the hand that feeds him would result in his complete the complete destruction of his whole identity and worldview yeah i think there's actually a bigger issue less so than um the individual as you both said but um what other options are there you know, most people go through life rarely thinking about the environment or what effect their single-use plastic is having. When, like you said, Patrick, they just want to get home, sit down and have a sandwich. And it doesn't matter to them where it comes from, whether it's environmentally friendly or not, even though most people, as you both said, um, are pro-environment. Um, they're not going to go out of their way to get um, some food that isn't wrapped in single-use plastic. I personally wouldn't even know where to get that in most places. Um, because most shops, it's just what you get. It's just what the factory provides to you. Um, so I think the issue is largely with the corporations and the companies rather than uh, with the people. Although they could definitely benefit from being more aware. We can't expect everyone to do that um, simply because people are people and they want to live their life working, getting home, being distracted, going to sleep and repeating. This kind of issue needs a two-pronged approach, I think, where you try and not only change the minds of the consumers but also the movers and shakers so to speak in society so that would be the big businesses the suppliers the media and i think only with a holistic approach like that would you be able to tackle the issue 
without having a half-hearted approach, if you know what I mean. Because as you just said, Charlie, there's only a certain extent to which people will be willing to change their personal habits if it alienates them or discomforts them so much. So I think you'd need a whole societal change as well as individuals. Where does that where does that come from? Um, so all I can see is government regulations or um, people demanding it en masse. I think the government intervention would be unlikely because say if the Conservative Party started pressuring companies to be more environmentally friendly, um, then those companies would take their donations to the Labour Party uh, and the Labour Party would allow the single-use plastic and things um, because they care ultimately more about the money and their jobs than, um, than the environment or the political issues. So I think the government is unlikely to put pressure on the large companies. I think that there's not enough aware people um, or that care enough to boycott or do much about these companies um, to be able to put social pressure on them. Uh, so where else could it come from? I think, in a, as we spoke about in our democracy episode, in a different system, it would have been easier to place electoral pressure on these sort of big parties to change their ways. But there is still definitely a way to do it in this country. You know, any sort of threat to eat into their vote share with a certain number of voters basically abstaining for, from voting for a party that, say, promotes rampant consumerism would be enough to cause a small, at least, change in policy, in my opinion. But there's also a lot to say for the effect of general public pressure on companies. I mean, we can see a couple of years ago when there was the large campaign against plastic bags and within a couple of years, every major supermarket chain had introduced a charge for plastic bags and some have even replaced them. So I think public and media pressure would be one of the main ways to achieve this. But what do you think, Patrick? I agree with what you've both been saying, uh, but I think we might be looking at from a, a too sort of narrow perspective. I mean, this is not just a, a national issue. It's not just a, a, an issue with local businesses or international businesses. It is a wholly international issue. I mean, see people talking all the time about, you know, our, our ability to compete and have a, a competitive economy in, in the modern world. Just because, you know, here in, in the UK or in England or in your local community, you might be able to create some anti-consumerist thought you're really trying to change the entirety of the developed world's, you know, systems, because this is deeply rooted in our politics, uh, economy, and culture as well. To be honest, I don't have the answers, and I don't think um, I'd be, you know, sincere if I said that uh, the answers are ever going to come uh, very clearly. But what I think we can do is, is, in the meantime, raise the problem and hope that we can start to make these small changes in the right direction. You know, because I think just expecting consumerism to topple over and wither away anytime soon, I just don't see happening. I think that it could definitely be changed issue by issue. Uh, I'm not saying that's the the way to deal with consumerism forever, but I think that's target one specific thing at a time. I mean, not to uh, rely on environmentalism to make our points, but the plastic straw scenario. Um, I don't see plastic straws very much anymore. Um, there's a hell of a lot of paper straws, especially even in McDonald's, uh, and that came from uh, you know large social pressure. So I think issue by issue you can deal with it, and yeah, I just said Ethan in a different, in a better uh, electoral system, then um, you could get change faster by putting uh, electoral pressure on them. 
I think it's much easier to appease on the surface level, though, right? I mean, the two things we've raised are plastic bags and paper straws. On what purpose do those serve? Do you to either carry or to consume the products that you're paying for? We're not actually dealing with the issue that we're raising being consumerism. Of course, the use of plastics and whatever else plays a part in it. Um, but, you know, I, I think the majority of the issue is, is the fact that there's that many products being bought in the first place, you know, and there's that much of a need and desire for them. Um, I think that is a much greater task than just reducing the use of plastic or paper straws or, um, you know, plastic bags. It definitely is. It's just very hard to um, sell to someone that, you know, they shouldn't be buying so much um, snacks, you know, or they shouldn't be buying so many Xbox games or they shouldn't be buying so many new jumpers because that's why and they don't care about all the farm workers on less than minimum wage um, being mistreated in shops to produce their clothes en masse. They don't care about how massive the system has to be to, to create and import and sell all of these products and they don't care what effect it has on the environment or on their uh, you know, society's emotional well-being or uh, the psychological uh, effects of sort of being addicted to buying things. Um, I think I think that it does have to be an all-in-one large um, movement rather than something small. Like I say, you can attack small issues like um, paper straw or plastic straws on an environmental basis. But I think that to attack consumerism as a whole, you have to chip away at the elements based on visible consequences like environmentalism. And another one is the addiction of uh, fast food. I think that you can chip away at fast food um, through its health consequences. Uh, and that way you can massively reduce uh, the amount of McDonald's and KFC that's being bought. And that would have a massive effect socially. You started to see a reduction in um, takeaways, you know, these massive chains. Then people would start to realize um, that they're a part of a larger network that's completely international. Uh, and that network, in a sentence, is a massive load of businesses creating a massive load of things for us to buy a massive load. That reminds me of the uh, the article I think we published uh, last Friday, which was Communities Will Kill the Nation State. And in that, we touched upon something which I'm really passionate about, or about talking about at least, which is is the fact that this is a very much international dogma. And it's, it's the fact that if you look at a lot of countries now, um, it is this very much consumer-based web where you have um, countries like America and, and Britain and and uh, even like you know France and Germany, they're all so similar now. The the distinct differences in, in local culture and even national culture become blurred because people are replacing. And I had a conversation with a friend about this the other day. Uh, are replacing their traditions and heritage and and you know culture in general with these consumerist. Uh, sort of ideologies. I mean, you, you hear people talk all the time about how, oh, Christmas is too commercialized. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, people are turning things which are tradition and are supposed to be holistic and, you know, help people you know, connect with friends and family and they're turning them into competitions of money and wealth. I mean, think about how stressful the Christmas period could be for so many people nowadays. Um, and think about 
across all of the Western world how similar those situations are. I mean, you could be living in, you know, South Korea, and I could be living up in the highlands of Scotland, and we could both be eating a Big Mac at the exact same time. And of course, there's, you know, certain benefits to international trade and things, but the fact of the matter is that slowly international differences and cultures are being replaced by being nothing more than everybody on a day-to-day doing nothing but consuming the same products across the world. I completely agree. And I think it's especially concerning when you consider subconscious aspects of culture, such as attitudes towards family, things like that. I think that's probably one of the best examples, actually, is the effect of consumerism on family structures. It's not something that you think of straight away. But if you consider that consumerism places a very heavy emphasis on immediate gratification and short-term spending, contrast that with the values that traditionally exemplified a family, which would be long-term planning, stability, and basically delayed gratification. And these things are mutually exclusive. So when the clash inevitably comes between consumerism and family, well, I'm afraid a lot of the time consumerism wins out. And that's one of the most concerning and grave effects of consumerism on culture, in my opinion. You can see this a lot in, in the psychology of young people, right? So I know a lot of people around me, um, all really, really invested in nothing but these items of short-term gratification, you know. They're not thinking about five, six years ahead, and they're not even thinking um, about one, two years ahead. Uh, a lot of the time, they're just thinking about, you know, blasting through all their money and going on as many nights out as possible. And don't get me wrong, that's fun, I enjoy it, and I think there's a place for it. But I think a lot of people are talking about the lack of maturity and, and the ability for you know younger people around the late teens, early 20s to actually start turning into adults. I think that's happening later and later because people are starting to think less and less about their actual adult life and are more set in stone in what they're doing in the minute, the here and the now, because that's what people have been forced to think about, you know, the, the, because of how stable, uh, our, because of how rich our societies are now, people have the freedom to think about, you know, here and now rather than having to worry about, you know, how they're going to pay for rent and things. And oftentimes you see people, you know, stagnate in society because they are entirely focused on, on these products and these cultural trends. So I think for young people, it's especially damaging. It shows just how deep the issues of consumerism get because things like, you know, the maturity of young people isn't th- something that you'd probably associate with, you know, the prevalence of McDonald's in society, but all these things are connected in, in a sort of underlying psychological sense. I think personally consumerism is really um it's just sort of a good point to raise considering we're just starting to get past our core principles but i really think consumerism is the root of a lot of issues we're talking about i mean like we said it's, it's rooted in everything from politics to psychology to the economy uh, it really is all encompassing absolutely and you need to think about it independently of the typical view that culture is just what you eat or what you wear Because as you said, consumerism touches every single aspect of human life, just like culture does. From romance to job ambitions to, yeah, of course, what you eat and things like that, but also a very deep psychological aspect. And it's not just us that suffer from consumerism either. As I touched on earlier, a lot of products from a lot of large companies, most notoriously the clothing industry, are largely put together abroad. And these are made by workers who are sometimes children, almost always paid very little. And these countries who have far less labour laws than we do will continue to maintain these factories and workshops as long as we will um, 
keep buying from them because their population doesn't have so much of a demand for materialist products uh, because their people are so so much poorer overall. Um, but we continue to import and buy these products en masse in our own countries. Uh, and while we do, places like India and China will be full of factories which produce very cheap products for a very unfair wage. We're currently enabling this, and while it's subconscious, it's not it's not the first thought in everyone's mind when they go to buy something. Um, it's something we have to consider on a large scale um, that does need to change. Yeah, and we're creating this reliance as well. It's not even as if, um, you know, I'm sure people will, will point to, uh, you know, China and the developments that China's had, but the problem is our population and is constantly booming, right? So with, with the ever-growing demand of more and more products we're going to need more and more production uh, and it, it's a vicious vicious cycle because that only demands that not only are we having more of an environmental impact but it also demands that we're still having these outsourced factories and this outsourced labor and production because it simply can't happen in in these western countries it's not it's not feasible in the long term to expect this growth to last forever and and i think as much as we should strive for uh, change in the short term, I think real change in the long term will only come when the system gets too big for itself and it topples over itself, uh, which isn't something I look forward to or something that I think will anyway be a good thing because the amount of, of fallout of, of a system like that sort of crumbling when it's, it's the basis of so much in society is going to be so dangerous. But I really don't think... Uh, as countries like China do start to develop and, and you know, production becomes harder to come by, but there's an ever-demanding, uh, an ever-increasing demand for it, I, I don't know how we'll keep up. Um, you know, people talk about automation and, and things, but I don't see that happening to a point anytime soon that will replace the human element. Yeah, I think that could be avoided if people made the switch earlier. Um, but for that to happen, there needs to be the structure in place. You know, things that are locally sourced, uh, or things that are fair trade, they are there. Um, they're currently more expensive just because they're from small corporations and companies. Um, they need to become more available so that people can be pushed with the political aspects of consumerism um, so that they can fall into that safety net and avoid buying from these larger companies at a very little change to their lives because no one wants to make a massive change, pay a significantly larger amount of money um, for something that's not really very different to them. Yeah, I agree, but the issue is, and I think I, I raised the numbers uh, in the last episode, is overpopulation. I think this is something we'll touch on more, maybe in a future episode. Um, but really, with, with the current population trends, I don't see how local businesses can keep up. No, I think we are on this sort of uh, never-ending cycle of you know constantly having to produce more to you know manage this ever-growing population, um, and if one of these things stops, the other thing totally collapses, right? Because if we weren't producing, we would have people starving and dying, and if we weren't having kids and there weren't enough people going around, we wouldn't be able to produce enough. Um, and either way, one of these systems is going to fall out. And I would much rather, obviously, see the consumerist system fall apart. Uh, but even that will have, as we touched on, massive um, implications. And of course, while I take issue with consumerism, I think the fallout of it collapsing in such a, a 
dramatic way uh, would not be desirable whatsoever. Of course, none of us hope for such a dramatic, you know, basically economic collapse, but I don't think it's pessimistic to expect that to happen. I think it's quite realistic because history is completely peppered with these kind of things. Nothing lasts forever and this economic system won't last forever. And as you said, it's a very unstable system that's based on consumption, you know. I think that a lot about the service-based economy, as they call it, generally. You know, it's one of these, as we said at the start, Aristotle called one of these crematistic sort of views of the economy where it's just about producing money without producing goods. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's realistic to expect the system to collapse at some point or at least undergo a radical change. And it's a good thing to be prepared for that. And we need to consider this. It's hard for a lot of people to admit that. And I I don't want to act as if if we know better. Um, But I think a lot of people do realize, or, or I'd hope a lot of people realize how unsustainable the system we're in is. I think a lot of people recognize it from an environmental perspective uh, and a few others. But I think what consumerism boils down to, at least the danger of it for me, is that it is unsustainable. You know, as I said, environmentally, in terms of population, in terms of just maintaining enough production to, to uh, satisfy an ever-growing population. One of these things is eventually going to fall out of place and the whole thing is going to come tumbling down. Because it's, it's, it's not a cycle we can keep up forever because at, at the very end of it, you know, we only have so many resources, right? Yeah, and the worst part of it is, as we said earlier on, the average person is basically paralysed to take any action over this because they're so embedded in the consumer culture that they can't extract themselves from that you kind of have to wait and see where it goes if you know what i mean unless a large enough group of people do it and of course that's one of the largest objectives of anti-consumerist movements is to get a critical mass of people to reject this culture to the point where a stable counterculture can be built for those who don't want to take part in it there's still a lot we can do even if a lot of the politicians don't care i would rather see their short-term gains in terms of wages constant re-elections um, there's still a lot of people and as we've said throughout this podcast the majority are pro-environmentalism um, the majority know that fast food is ultimately bad for you and bad for um, society as a whole um, the majority of people know that mass buying of materialist products just isn't good as a general point um, but it's just having those other options there and pushing people a little bit more politically um, and we can see a massive change, I believe. Just like we've seen already, as I said, with plastic straws, plastic bags, um, and the movement is going and it is picking up steam even more. Uh, currently, it's in the environmental angle. But after that, we definitely could see attacks on the fast food industry, for example, uh, which I think is probably one of the worst, um, and consumerism will be taken down element by element. Yeah, I think one thing we've we've done really well is identify the issue, right? And we don't have all the solutions, but we what we can do is is work uh, to try and not only look into finding those solutions, but see uh, the smaller uh, outlying problems and deal with them as we can one by one, working in the right direction. I completely agree. And although things such as banning plastic straws or reducing plastic bag usage may seem very isolated and a drop in the ocean, these are part of a broader movement of anti-consumerism and environmentalism. And ultimately, oh, you know, every little helps. And I think if we keep up the pressure on not only the public, but on the movers and shakers in society, then 
eventually this movement could definitely be very successful. That's a really good point, especially to end it on, because uh, I, I know I've got nothing else to say, and I think we've covered all the, all the bases. I think we should talk about um, overpopulation a bit more in a, in a further episode, um, unless you've got anything else to add, Charlie. No, that's it for me too. I think the Americanization is an important element as well, and that's something else we can cover. Yeah, these are both massive issues that should really be dealt with in their own right, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Yeah, well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on social media, such as Facebook and Instagram, at localmatterseng, and visit our website, thelocalist.org. And if you're feeling generous, please consider donating to us at paypal.me forward slash localmatters.